Children's Church, you were dismissed. Got a big house today, lots of guests. Thank you all for being here. There was some confusion at the door. Um, a couple of the security guys tried to throw me out for wearing a t-shirt. I don't know what that was about, but this is uh, one of the few Sundays of the year that I can justify doing it uh, right now and then right before we go on a youth mission trip um, because right now I'm unified, which was part of the theme for this weekend. Um, the weekend, as our shirts say, me and many of the youth was 350, 380 uh, students from here, Towns County and Hayesville gathering together all weekend, ooh, all weekend to worship God, to listen to sermons, to dive into his word and spend time together. And so it was a huge weekend. Um, there were several salvations last night. The total numbers are not in yet, but um, I'm just so grateful for some of our volunteers from our church that came and helped uh, feed them, support them uh, by serving pizza last night. Uh, one of our particular volunteers, Chris Fox, who weathered the storm onslaught with me all weekend, staying up late, taking care of the kids. I just couldn't have done it without him. I appreciate him, and he's ignoring me in the sound booth right now. So, uh, but you, could y'all just give Chris and all their volunteers a round of applause? Also, there's a uh, young lady here. She's a college student at Young Harris, and she's just a one out of uh, 30 or 40 college-age students that get training and then take several weekends out of the year to come to these events, help uh, us as pastors lead our kids through that, pour into them, just lead them through the word, and she was a huge help to me as well. Rachel, can y'all just give Rachel a round of applause? So with that said, we're going to be continuing our study in Colossians chapter 3, if you want to go ahead and turn there with me. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. So let's talk about the context and kind of what we've been going through over the past weeks and months and so on. As we've been going through Colossians, we have studied how the person we used to be has died with Christ and has been replaced by a new man that is chosen of God, that is holy, and that is beloved. That our identities, they are now found in him and not in the social, not in the economical, not in the cultural structures of this world because Christ is all and is in all. The result of these things is that we are put to death and that our old way of life uh, such as immorality, uh, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, they are now to be put to death. And we are now also to set aside some of our old ways, such as anger and wrath and malice and slander, abusive speech, all of these things that are divisive, that tear us apart, not just individually, not just in our smaller relationships, but as a body, as a church, as Christ's bride. So now that we are alive in Christ, we are to put on his characteristics. We are to begin to reflect him, and we're to put on these things such as compassion and kindness, uh, humility, gentleness, patience. We are to bear with one another. We are to forgive one another as he forgave us, and we are to be bound together by love. In addition, as we studied last week, how Christ has changed the priorities of his church, his body, his bride, that now the peace of Christ is to be our umpire. It's to dwell among us. It's to help us in our relationships with one another and guide us so that we can, uh, as well as his uh, word dwells richly within us, it's to guide us so that we can uh, teach one another and admonish one another in song and hymn and spiritual songs. 
And finally, whatever we are to do in word or in deed, we are to do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. So that command, everything we do in action and in word, everything pointing towards him and towards his will. So it is out of this context, out of taking off the old, out of putting on the new, out of looking at all the ways that Christ is changing us, changing every single part of who we are, of how we're to function here on this earth, that we're now to look at the text for today. As he begins uh, today and, and over the next couple weeks as we study through 18 um, through 4.1, the specific groups, the roles that are to fulfill um, in our lives uh, Christ-centered relationships with others around us. So this week we'll examine the role of the wife and the husband. And in the future weeks we'll look at the role of children and parents, employers, employees, and so on. So... A disclaimer, as we get into today, I was absolutely terrified <laughs> to preach this sermon today. Um, I knew we would have some guests, some people in here that don't know me, um, that don't know my heart. Uh, I was scared because this is such, in our society today, this is scripture that has been used and abused and misused and misunderstood and taken advantage of. And I understand that there is patriarchy and there is chauvinism and that there is a dominance that is used to hurt others with the word of God. And I know that this idea, some of the ideas we're going to talk about today, they sound radical. They sound in opposition to everything else our culture teaches us today. But what I need you to understand is that that's not new. When this was first written to the Colossians, when they received this letter from Paul, this about the treatment of wives, especially on the male side, about what husbands were supposed to do, that was so against everything. Back then, even in Jewish culture, women were property. They did not have rights. And we see a radical change coming forward here. And so as we get into it today, I, I just, I want you to understand that though many of the reasons people shy away from this text are justified because of our abuse, because of the misuse of it, it is still the word of God and it is still what he has given us and we are still to be faithful towards it and he is still working for our good and he is still our father who loves us and it is a a thing that I hope that as we work through it all today, I hope you will come to see that it is actually the way that he has designed it. It is more than equality. It is better than what you would understand. It is more satisfactory, more fulfilling than the ways that we try to make it work on our own. And this is, if we follow his word, it is going to fulfill our marriage, and it's going to fill our marriage not just with joy and hope and happiness, but also with him, which all of that stems from. Um, so as we get started talking about marriage today, uh, first of all, we need to dig into what marriage actually is before we begin to talk about the different roles within it. But what I want to just step aside and talk about first is I understand that when you begin talking about marriage, first of all, all the kids are looking for an excuse to get a nap in right now. 
But the reality is, what they are doing now is preparing them. They need to be praying. They need to be seeking spouses eventually. Not yet, you 14, 15-year-olds. You need to calm down. <laughs> Relax. But eventually, this is the kind of wife you need to be. This is the kind of husband you want to be. These are the kind of spouses that you want to seek to spend your life with. Because it's going to bring honor and glory to God. For those of you who have had marriages before and they did not work out, it is unlikely that this was the situation that y'all were representing, that y'all were following under. And so now many of you have remarried, and I'm not here to judge or condemn or anything like that. But where you're at now, whether it's on your first, your second, your third, I've got a sweet cousin, sweet Penny. She is married, one man, and then three more. And then, well, four more. No, three more. And then went back to the first one because she figured out she got it right that time. I love her. So I'm not here to judge. But whichever set you're on, or if you've never been married before, this is what we're supposed to be. And I don't live up to it. And none of us here do a perfect job at it. Thank God that we have grace and forgiveness and we're to pour those things out. We're to forgive one another, bear with one another, put on humility and gentleness and patience and all these things so that we can come forward and we can strive to fulfill these commands that he's given us today. So, um, also, to the only people I haven't spoken to in the room, to those of you that have been married, who have lost, if you would just join me in praying for the relationships, the marriages in this room, that you would just seek that they would enjoy what you might have had. And I hope today that as we talk about the roles of husbands and wives and as you undoubtedly will think about your spouse that you have lost, that it will bring good memories. So, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. And some of you are thinking, that's what all this, you know, this buildup has been about? But that's what we're going to be focusing on today. So, first, before we can begin to define the roles of wives and husbands, we must first look at how God defines marriage itself. So, Paul explains, uh, if you don't know, Paul is the author of Colossians, and he wrote this while he was imprisoned, and he also wrote two other books, uh, two other letters in our New Testament while he was, uh, at the same time that he was in prison, writing this one. He also wrote to Philemon, and he also wrote to the Ephesians. And so a lot of the things in Colossians are parallel. They're almost exact mirrors of what is written in Ephesians. And so (laughs) sometimes in Ephesians, he's a little more expressive with his words. Sometimes in Colossians, he dives into something a little bit deeper. But we're going to be bouncing back and forth if you want to be in Ephesians 5 as well. And you can just flip that little Bible back and forth. Uh, We'll be covering scripture there as well. 
So Ephesians, 5's chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 through 33. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Verse 32 is a quote from Genesis chapter 2, where God brings Adam and Eve together and institutes the first marriage. Verse 33 is an explanation of the purpose of marriage. Marriage is not so much about the individuals involved as we pump it up to be today, but it is about the glory of God. Marriage is to be a picture of Christ and his relationship to the church. So your marriage is to be a a vessel. It's to be an institution that brings glory to God. Now, sadly, the reality is a lot of times our marriage reflect a a mental institution as opposed to an institution of God. And we can laugh about that because it's true. But just as so many things in this world, that brokenness was not God's intent. God is the one that instituted marriage. And when he made it, he made it as a perfect creation. So only he can define what it truly is and how it should be. Same concept as we talked about sex a month or so ago. It is his good and perfect gift for us. And though this world may try to corrupt or change what it means and how it works, we must look to God and his perfect design. And thanks to Jesus, we now know that marriage is to glorify God as a picture of Christ and the church, as a gospel relationship, not just between us and Christ, but also with our spouse, who we are now one with. So, because marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, there is always hope for marriages that are hurting or in danger of falling apart. Any man or woman who is willing to follow God's design for marriage can have a wonderful and joyful relationship. And it's funny how that seems to be the benefit of doing things God's way instead of our own. So just as we could not save ourselves, we cannot sustain a marriage that is a creation of God, that is a reflection of Christ, without either of them being involved. Yes, marriage will still take a lot of work, and there will be hard times, but God will use even those things to mold each and every one of us into what they are supposed to be, into what our marriages are supposed to be. There will be, then be purpose and meaning in life because the reason for its existence will be fulfilled. There is no such thing as an irreconcilable marriage. Just individuals that refuse to be reconcilable to God and to their spouse. When a husband and wife will not follow God's design, the best case scenario, even if it, se- even if it seems fine by worldly standards, even if it, if it works, it will still be a hollow shadow of what it could have been, of what God intends for it to be. But more often, the marriage will flounder And it will just be two people living separate lives under the same roof, paying the same bills and getting a tax break for it. Or it will fall apart. Many fall into this cycle and they repeat it over and over again and they don't understand why it never works out. While it only takes one spouse to destroy a marriage by a refusal to follow God's design, there is good news for the spouse that does strive to follow God with their life. Um, 
We see that in 1 Corinthians 7.14, how the unbelieving spouse can help sanctify their house, how they can help bring their unbelieving spouse into the knowledge of who Christ is by the example that they set. And this can happen in your household as well. So the first text, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. Wives. Wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Submit. That is a, a, a middle present imperative. It's a signifying that the wives should voluntarily subject themselves to their husbands. This does not diminish the dignity that a woman has as a daughter of God, as someone who is created in his image. However, since Christ himself was subordinate to God, since he was equal with him and yet humbled himself, that is the reason that we wives are also to be submissive to husbands. He, uh, he says later on in the book, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. The word submit, it is a military term. It is referring to falling into a structured chain of command. And this is the chain, this is the roles that God has designed for our marriage. And what this is, this is a call to selflessness. Out of all the things that we list, I feel like selflessness is something that we keep coming back to as one of the ultimate signaling words of what it is like to be a Christian, of what it is like to follow Christ, of what Christ did for us. It's a call to be selfless. As it is fitting in the Lord. The resulting sense is therefore, submit in a manner that is appropriate for those who are in the Lord. So, understand it in this way. This clause points to Christ as the pattern of humility and submission. The wife is only to submit insofar as the will of the husband aligns with that of the Lord. So this is today, it's going to seem like we're talking about someone sitting on top of another, but I promise you, this is a circle. And these two verses go together, and one cannot work without the other. So let me just talk about it like this. The wife is only to submit to the will of her husband as it aligns to that of the Lord. So the Lord is the center of the focus. He is the purpose. He is the reason. And he alone is the criteria through which determines what is appropriate and what is it acceptable for a woman to submit herself to. Instead of understanding these verses as a call to conduct their lives uh, according to what people expect of them, the social order, anything like that, it suggests that those structures, whatever you may see, it doesn't matter. It is only based upon what God says is right. And so that's where we have to take another pause and talk about how this verse has been used for abuse. It is not permissible under a Christian household, under our God, for a woman to subject herself to physical mental or verbal abuse because that means her husband is no longer in a line with the Lord. It is not wrong for a woman to go to her church for help. It is not wrong for a woman to go to the law for help. 
because that is a structure that God has put in place for her safety. As a young man who spent time in this safe house, this is something I'm extremely passionate about. If you don't know what that ministry is, you should look into it and you should support it. But unfortunately, that is a ministry that is necessary in even our community today, and actually more so. They are underfunded, they are overworked, and there is more need than there is supply. And that is why, (laughs) husbands, you know that every year on Father's Day, you get it pretty rough, (laughs) whether from me or from Harrison or whoever speaks. It has been a pattern of do better. And so as we go into the next verse, if I seem a little more harsh and I hammer down on you a little bit more, well, first of all, it's because I am a man and I feel like there's a little bit more authority that I can have because I can relate to you a little bit better than a woman, luckily. But anyways, so again, as this is a circle, as this, as the wives are to submit themselves to their husbands as is fitting to the Lord, as they are to selflessly set aside their wants, their needs, and submit themselves to respect their husbands, to follow them, to trust them, even when they know, listen, women, you can do it better sometimes. Sometimes your plans are good, well, more than sometimes. Sometimes your plans are better. Sometimes your ideas are better. Sometimes this, sometimes that. And thank God that you're our partners And hopefully you have one that will listen to you like that. But at the same time, when your husband goes a different way, you need to support him. You need to be there for him. You need to respect and submit yourselves to them as it is fitting in the Lord. So verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. In light of this model of reflecting Christ, just as we saw with the women, such love, as we look at here, it is, the term is agape. Agape is unconditional love. It's a sacrificial, not self-serving. It is not necessarily emotional in terms. It's not necessarily sexual or romantic in terms. It is to be defined by the will and action of one who is willing to consider the other as the subject of their concern, as their master, as to serve them. And so we have seen God's clear command to husbands to love your wives. And we see it again in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 25, where it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the first of four times as you look through Ephesians 5, Uh, in a matter of nine verses, that husbands are commanded, commanded to love their wives. Love them unselfishly, the Bible says. Our culture tells us to, uh, in every aspect of our life, to defend ourselves, to assert ourselves, to draw attention to ourselves, that it's about us, about your success, about your well-being. And yet Christ calls us away from that in every aspect of our life that we've been talking about, and especially in our marriage And he compels us to sacrifice ourselves for our wives. We are called to headship 
and our wives are called to submit to that leadership. But headship is not an opportunity for us to control our wives. It is a responsibility for us to die for them. So many of us say that we would die for our wives. But in reality, true death would be easier because that is a quick one-time thing, right? But are you willing, husbands, to die to yourself daily? That's how we are called to love her. And that's how we are called even more so to love Christ. And by doing it for our wife's sake, we are glorifying God and reflecting Christ and learning how to be more like him. And this means, husbands, that you and I don't love our wives based upon what we get from them. That's how the world defines love in marriage, that it's a partnership, that it's a, a give and a take. And the world says that you love your wife because all of her attractive attributes and her compelling characteristics, but this is dangerously fickle love. Because as beautiful as your wife is, age comes, and it comes for us all. My gray is coming in so fast. For as soon as some attribute or characteristic fades, then love fails. It goes away. Husbands, love your wives not because of who they are, but because of who Christ is. He loves them deeply, and our responsibility is to reflect that love, that unconditional, that sacrificial, that never-ending love. And now, obviously, we don't all do that. We don't do all that Christ has done. Namely, we don't die for the sins of our wives. Yet we do live to serve them and to see them grow in Christ's likeness. We are accountable for loving our wives in such a way that they grow in loveliness and in their love for Christ. Just as Christ takes responsibility for the spiritual health of his church, we are, have a responsibility for the spiritual health of both our wives and our marriages. That is the burden of headship. Imagine the captain of a Navy ship is asleep on his watch, and as he's asleep, a rebellious sailor comes, and he takes over the wheel, and he slams it into a rock. Now the ship has sunk. Who is to blame? Is it the rebellious sailor? Yes, he too has sinned. But the captain is the one who will be held accountable as well. So the Bible is saying that a husband is responsible for the spiritual care of his wife. And when she struggles with sin, or when they struggle in their marriage, he is ultimately held responsible. This accountability, we're going to see in some of the next couple weeks, it is held in many biblical relationships, from parents to children, from masters to slaves, elders, pastors, to all the people under their care. It will be held accountable. So for this reason, God calls a man to nourish and cherish his wife to wash her with the word. And just as Christ does the church, Ephesians 5.29, um, the language of scripture here, it is evocative. A husband is to treasure, to encourage, to build up and comfort his wife. He is to take the initiative in tending to his wife, not waiting for her to approach him and say, there are some problems in our marriage, there's some problems with this we need to talk about, but going to her and saying, how can I love you and lead our marriage better? I regularly ask my wife that question. And it's not always what you want to hear, but it's what you need to talk about. 
I want to grow. I want my wife to grow. I want her to be healthy. And sometimes it's so hard, especially for me. That's the only perspective I have. You're just trying to pour into these kids. You're trying to pour into the church, and you forget that your wife's hurting or suffering or not getting it all. Husbands need to realize what is at stake here. You and I are representing Christ to a watching world in the way that we love our wives. If we are harsh with our wives, uh, some versions say embittered towards them, then we will show the world that Christ is cruel with his people. If we ignore our wives, we will show the world that Christ wants nothing to do with his people. If we leave our wives, we will show the world that Christ deserts his people. What pictures is your marriage giving to the culture around you, to the people around you, about Christ's relationship with his church? What pictures are they giving to your kids in your home? Couples, let me ask you this. Is what you have with your spouse, that relationship, that marriage, at whatever level it's at, is that what you want your children to have with theirs? Because you are modeling it for them. Some are great examples to follow. Some, like mine, were great examples of what not to do. And again, even if you feel like it's bad, if we go back to what we were talking about later, there is nothing that is unreconcilable. If you come to God and you both submit yourselves to God and you bring Christ back into your marriage, what a witness, what an example of his power and his love and the gospel and how it can change and save what is broken. So similarly, wives, revere Christ through respect for your husband. Hear God's wisdom in the final verse in Ephesians 5. Let, in verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Notice how the husband is commanded to love his wife, yet the wife is commanded to respect her husband. This is not in conflict with what we're reading in Colossians 18 through 19. It is in parallel to it. It is in agreeance to it. It's an expounding upon it. So now obviously that doesn't mean that love and respect should not both be expressed by the husband and the wife. As a husband, you're to love and respect your wife. As a wife, you're to love and respect your husband. But sometimes it's so easy to fall into those traps because sometimes women are more prone to one thing, men are more prone to another, and that's why Paul speaks specifically to these different things because a woman can sit there with other women and speak about her husband disrespectfully and then go quietly home and care for his needs. Why? Because she loves him. But more important question is this, does she respect him? And the same goes in reverse. A man isn't always prone to love his wife in the way that she needs. Men often uh, go to a, a task-oriented mentality where I, I'm going to work, I'm providing, I'm cutting the grass, I'm doing whatever, whatever these deeds are, these tasks, these check marks that I can check off, and that's showing my wife that I love her. But when was the last time I sat down and told my wife that I loved her? why I love her, what's special about her, what draws me to her, the things of Christ, her gentleness, her patience, her peace. Some of us deal with that in different ways. I'm not saying that all women are just bleeding hearts, seeking some emotional affirmation. And I'm not saying all men are just taskmasters checking away. Sometimes it's reverse. 
a little different, but the norm seems to be that this is still what God has to call us to, to help us focus. So look at it like this. When you begin to put your own wants and your own needs aside, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, and if you're a man, when you begin to cherish and nurture your wife as God calls you to, when you're a woman, when you begin to just show him the respect, when you begin to show him that you trust him and support him, even if it seems hard, even if it seems second nature, the Spirit will guide you and it will support you and it will help you. Because remember, you are a husband and a wife, but you are not alone in your marriage. God wants to see his creation thrive, and he wants to be there for you, and he is there for you. So let me hit right now on one of the lies that the enemy tells us so often. There's love and respect in marriage, but that love and respect in marriage is not based upon, is not to be based upon performance. A woman's willingness to submit and a husband's willingness to sacrificially love his wife are to be done based upon God's charge to him and their devotion to him first. But when you have a husband that treats you like that, and when you have a wife that respects and supports you like that, it sure does make it easier to follow such a command as this. So all of this is good for us. It is good for husbands to lay down their lives for their wives, and in losing their lives, they can find them, right? It is good for a woman to submit herself to her husband as she is to submit herself to the Lord and receive this love and respect that her husband uh, is to give her just as she receives it from Christ. And so it is a beautiful, it is beyond equality, it is a beautiful mystery, and one that gives both partners the dignity they deserve while still being in the roles that God intends for them to be. So ultimately, all of this is glorifying to God. He has sent his son to die for sinners, and he has set up marriage to reflect that reality. When we understand this, we realize that marriage exists even more for God than it does for us. God has ultimately designed marriage not to satisfy our needs, but to display his glory in the gospel. And when we realize this, we recognize that if we want to declare the gospel, if we want to show it to the world, we want to show them the love as Christ commands us in John to be known by our love, then we need to start with our marriages. And we must be willing to fight for our marriages, for our own and for those of our brothers and sisters in Christ around us. And that's how his love will be shown. Terryfield come up. This past weekend, well, yesterday, last night, in fact, that time came and any youth-oriented, Christ-centered thing or an invitation would be given. And at that invitation, you know, everybody's heads are supposed to be down, but I cheat. I put mine up because I want to know. All the, all the pastors cheat. That's the one time we're all and equally together, because each and every one of us wants to know something happening with my kid, is something happening with this, is something happening with that. And when you start seeing some of those hands go up and some of those decisions being made and some of those proclamations being made, because that's really what you're doing when you put your hand up, even if you've made that decision in your heart, the, the hand is the modern baptism, even though we're still going to baptize, don't twist my words there. 
Um, the hand seems to be the modern new baptism. And of course, the, the speakers, they always you know, invite you down to the front, to the altar, to the, the gym stage, wherever you're at during these things. And last night, I was sitting there and I was watching, and I saw um, two hands go up side by side. And it was these two girls um, from a different church. And they were clearly friends. And as soon as the speaker said, you know, if you want to come down and be prayed over, one girl, running for it. But that other girl just sat there. She put her hand down. And it just broke my heart. Because even with all that love swirling in her, the spirit talking to her, sometimes she, she was just, she was still too afraid to go forward. She was still too afraid to just run to the altar, run to God, run to that healing, that help. You know, though he's there, and even though he was encouraging her, she just wasn't ready to show the world her hurt, her pain, her need for a Savior. And that's what a lot of us do when it comes to problems in our marriages. We just sit there. We know there's a Savior. We know there's a solution. But we just choose to just sit there and ride out that storm instead of running towards help, running towards encouragement, running towards brothers and sisters in Christ that are going to pray with you and cry with you and fight for you. And so if that is you today, I just encourage you to seek help. You have a Savior. You have a church who loves you. Let's pray. Let's sing. Sorry. Stand up, please.